0: Hello and welcome to Uncovering Family History, a weekly podcast sharing the stories discovered through family history research. The highs, the lows, the exciting and even the mundane. Not only are we sharing stories, but also research tips picked up along the way that can help you with your research going forward. I love hearing about the stories that others have found in their family trees and the types of records they've managed to uncover during their research. So I wanted to do something that would not only allow me to talk about my ancestors and their stories, but also get to learn about other people's stories as well. And in the grand scheme of things, maybe connect people with similar research interests. Okay, yes, it has been a while since I last recorded an episode and I'm sorry for anyone who was keen for the next episode and it just never came. I'm still in the process of getting episodes under my belt and planned out, but I wanted to share this story this week in honour of Remembrance Day today. So this isn't exactly the podcast coming back weekly, but it is a bit of a teaser to tide you over until I can start recording and uploading again. At this point, it's probably not going to be until the new year, but follow me on social media to learn more about podcast happenings going forward. And stay tuned to the end of the episode because I'm going to talk about this a little bit more as well. So in previous episodes of the podcast, I've shared research tips. And then gone into a story this episode is just going to mainly be the story just because i really want to tell it Um, but way back in episode three which was titled three brothers one war i talked about where you should be searching for australian military records so if you haven't listened to that or it's been a while definitely go back to that episode to get some tips on where to be looking If you are someone who is overseas, I'd actually really love to know more about research locations in your country. So please slide into my DMS and let's have a bit of a chat while I don't have many overseas ancestors with military service. I think I only have some from the UK and Canada at this point in my research. Uh, there There are a few that have popped up as I go through and extend the branches of my tree, so I'd love to get to know a little bit more about what database and search locations are available wherever you are in the world. I think it'd be really handy to know. Most of us will have a number of ancestors who have military service, and again back in episode three I talked about three brothers, Albert, George and William Hampson, two of whom fought in France during World War One, with George actually re enlisting for the Australian Garrison Battalion, aka the Home Front, in World War two. But they're just the tip of the iceberg for my ancestry. For example my grandfather served as a transport driver in the RAAF during World War II and was stationed in the Northern Territory and Pacific but his story is one for another time and another episode which I definitely want to share down the track. Today's story is actually one of the first war stories I uncovered and learnt about and it's really become one that's wormed its way into my heart. So let me tell you about my great great-uncle, Private W. T. Johns, who went from the rural farming town of Oaklands in New South Wales to the battlefields of France. <music> William Thomas Johns was born the 6th of May 1885 on Wongamong Station near Oaklands, New South Wales, to parents Richard Johns and Fanny Mills, the second born of seven children. Along with his younger siblings, he attended Felton Woods School, one of the many small, one-teacher schools scattered throughout the district, which eventually closed as town schools grew. During his early adulthood, he worked as a farmer in the district. At the age of 31, on the 30th of March, 1917, William enlisted in World War One at Wagga Wagga leaving Sydney aboard the HMAT Marathon on the 10th of May 1917 just 4 days after his 32nd birthday William was part of the 10th reinforcement of the 45th infantry battalion a posting he was to serve for the duration of the war William disembarked at Devonport 2 months later on the 20th of July 1917 and headed to the military camps at Codford as part of the 12th training battalion the camps at Codford had become large training and transfer camps for troops heading to France, particularly the Australian and New Zealand troops. During his time at Codford, William wrote to his sister May, my great-grandmother, a postcard featuring 17 of the men William was training with. The card reads, quote, Dear May, this is a group learning something, I cannot decide his writing for this word. It was taken at dinner time in front of the bomb lecture hall. I do not if you can pick me up. I'm on the left-hand corner, half behind the poor old dad he went to sleep. I look pretty sorry on it, too. I ought to have gone out front, lying down opposite the darky. I don't think I have got any thinner since I came over. I weighed just ten stone, eleven pounds. Weighed yesterday. Good night. Hope to see you all soon. W. Johns. End quote. If you actually want to see what this card looks like i'll link to a blog post in episode notes that i wrote a few years ago about william which features a bunch of really great photos after spending around three months in codford william proceeded overseas to france via southampton on the 23rd of october 1917 reaching the battlefield and the 45th battalion on the 2nd of november 1917. the 45th australian infantry battalion was well established by the time william joined its ranks the battalion was raised in Egypt on the 2nd of March, 1916 as part of a doubling of the AIF. As part of the 12th Brigade of the 4th Australian Division, the battalion arrived in France on the 8th of June, 1916, heading for the Western Front. The battalion fought its first major battle at Posiers in August and then spent the period until March, 1917, alternating between duty in the trenches, training and resting behind the lines. During the first battle of Bullcourt in 1917, the battalion was in reserve, but it was to be heavily engaged during the Battle of Mazines in June, suffering a number of casualties. With the AAF having moved its focus to the Ypres sector in Belgium, the battalion took part in another major battle near Passchendaele. I'm pretty sure I butchered that. On the 12th of October, the horrendous conditions and hastily planned operation resulted in failure and loss. By the time William was in the ranks in November, the battalion was being rotated in and out of the front line throughout the winter of 1917 and 1918, along with many other Australian infantry battalions. However, his time on the front wasn't to be long. On the 7th of February 1918, three months into his time out in the field, William was wounded in action as a result of a mustard gas attack. He was moved to the second Australian casualty clearing station in France where he was to be treated, but he sadly died of his wounds on the 22nd of February 1918, just eight months short of the war ending. His death was reported in Australian newspapers a month later, and his mother Fanny received a letter dated the 16th of May 1918, which detailed how William had died and where he was buried. Plot 2 Row D, Grave 34, at toys Arbre Cemetery in Sternwerk, France, was chosen as William's final resting place. The site had been chosen for the second Australian Casualty Clearing Station in July 1916, with Plot 1 and early rows of Plot 2 made in use by the hospital until April 1918, at which point the Germans captured the village of Sternwerk on the 10th of April. It was only after armistice that over 700 graves were brought into it from the battlefields of Stanwyck, Nippia, Belleu, and Nouvelle-Engleith. And I've ruined all of those names, I'm so sorry if you are French. <laughs> Today, there are 1,704 Commonwealth servicemen from the First World War, buried or commemorated in the cemetery. 435 of the burials are sadly unidentified, but there are special memorials to ten casualties known, or believed, to be buried among them. Fortunately, William's resting place is marked clearly for all to see. On the 21st of July 1918, an in service was held in the town of Oaklands to commemorate the lives of five local men who would not be returning home. Quote, William T. Johns came from a home that gave two of its sons. Early they heard the call for true-hearted men and responded. He gave his life in France where he sleeps awaiting the resurrection of the just in God's glorious morn. End quote. William's youngest brother Barkle had also enlisted and was actually one of the lucky men to return home. Unfortunately, Barkle had also been the victim of a mustard gas attack and ill health would plague him until his death in 1937 at the age of 45. Once I can decipher all of the service records in Barkles' file, I definitely need to share more of his story. As William's father had died in 1902, his mother was his next of kin. In mid to late 1918, she received his inventory of effects, which included disc, key, metal mirror, two numerals, two badges, religious medallion, electric torch, cigarette holder, cards, letters, fountain pen, comb, razor strop, razor knife, metal keychain, YMCA riding block, and a money belt. On the 10th of November 1922, Fanny received William's memorial plaque. In early 1920, it had been announced that all next of kin would receive a memorial plaque and scroll, quote, as a solace for bereavement and as a memento, end quote. Each plaque had the name of the soldier commemorated, individually embossed, some engraved, as part of the design. The full name was given without any indication of ranks or honours to, quote, show the quality of sacrifice of all those who had lost their lives, end quote. The scroll designed to accompany the plaques was of thick paper, headed by the royal coat of arms, bearing the following message, quote, he whom this scroll commemorated was numbered among those who, "...at the call of king and country, left all what was dear to them, endured hardness, faced danger, and finally passed out of the sight of men by the path of duty and self-sacrifice, giving up their own lives that others might live in freedom. Let those that come after see that his name is not forgotten." The plaque actually arrived in Australia late, and so many scrolls were actually sent out separately, with Fanny receiving Williams on the 9th of August 1921. The scroll was accompanied by a message from the King, George V, which read, I join with my grateful people in sending you this memorial of a brave life given for others in the Great War. Finally, on the fifteenth of may 1923, Fanny received William's British War Medal and Victory Medal. The British War Medal, 1914 to 1920, was instituted by King George V in nineteen nineteen to mark the end of World War One and record service given. The Victory Medal was authorized in 1919 to commemorate the victory of the Allied forces. And while each of the Allied nations used the standard ribbon and a different design on the medal to reflect national identity and custom, Australians were actually awarded the medal issued by Great Britain, unfortunately. The location of william's medals is unknown and i can only hope that one of my third cousins has them stowed away in the back of a cupboard somewhere since writing william's story as a blog post a few years ago i have since found a few special items that add a little bit to his story so i obviously talked about the postcard that william wrote to may from the training camp at codford and i'm sure it wasn't the only time he wrote home as I know he probably wrote letters to his mother and possibly even his other siblings like he did May, but I actually came across three embroidered silk postcards that he sent home. These embroidered postcards were very popular with British and Commonwealth soldiers and were actually not that cheap to buy as souvenirs and send home. Usually they were mailed with letters and not the thin paper envelopes they came with, so they were often unwritten with no marks on the back and any message that they were sending home was actually contained in the accompanying letter. I think it's possible that William was actually going to write on the inside of one of the postcards as there's an illegible little ink blob, but he seems to have thought the better of it. One card has Souvenir of Eprez and a bit of the town uh, embroidered on it. One has To My Dear Sister in nice cursive font embroidered on it. And the other To My Dear Mother, which is more of a little uh, envelopey. It has a bit of an envelope flap to it. Um, And from what I can find in regards to these cards with the little flap embroidered on it is that there was an even smaller card contained within that might have had a bit of a message on it but that seems to be long gone and it's also a shame that the accompanying letters haven't actually stood the test of time like these postcards which can I say considering they've probably uh, lived in several houses since they were sent home um, over a hundred years ago they have somehow survived there seems to be very minimal damage to them it was a very chance find in an envelope in a box of random assorted stuff Um, a very a very moving find if I do say so so these postcards and other recent finds have actually come from my grandparents house as myself my mum cousins and aunts slowly tidy and organize their house now that they're both in a nursing home So going through all the old photos and family documents has been my domain and I've kept an eye out for anything and everything of interest. I think I've kept way too much stuff. um, So I now have a stack of documents that I have to properly organize and that's been fun. uh, But that's definitely a story for another episode. Uh, I definitely want to share that in the future once I get everything a bit more organized and I can talk about that a bit more. So in my search, I've actually been hoping to stumble upon William's medals. I knew it was a definite long stretch because if my grandparents did have them, I feel like they'd be in a bit more of an obvious spot or I would have known about them already, or I'd possibly already have them as my mum had already a few important little jewelry pieces and things like that, like given to her earlier. But, you know, I was hopeful after my um, grandparents moved into town from their farm. The place, it was organized, but also there was just like boxes of like random things gathered together. So like some really important um, or interesting family history documents that were super old um, were like shoved in with like current stuff or like a random assortment of things. or like randomly shoved in like with photos that had nothing to do with what the document was about. Like it was organized, but also not organized at all. So I was kind of hopeful that maybe they were somewhere, particularly also because my grandparents actually inherited a lot of family stuff from my pop's cousin, who was William's niece. And because she seemed to have kept a lot of stuff, I kind of hope that in all of her stuff, that maybe there was medals stored in a random box at the back of a cupboard. Alas, I haven't been able to find them and I've been through every nook and cranny in the house, so I don't think I'm going to find them. But there was a medal find that had me so excited that I was so close to finding them. Um, and it was exciting but also so disappointing at the same time that I f- because I felt so close to just because I felt so close and that I'd open another like the next box and they'd be there. But anyway, this was another medal though, a small medal made especially for the soldiers of the Oaklands region, sized somewhere between a 10 and 20 cent piece. It's very basic because obviously it's only a small town thing, not there wouldn't have been too many people getting it, but I think it was a really nice little memento that the town, Um, put together so engraved on it is quote Oakland's war medal 1918 presented WT Johns end quote Um, so I don't know if every soldier from the area received one of these medals upon their return home or if it was more of a memorial medal presented to the families of fallen soldiers. But I'm kind of guessing that this may have been presented to Fanny during the in memoriam service in July 1918. Seems like the most logical time that the family would have received it. Finally, I think one of the most sentimental things found is actually um, a locket. There has been a couple of lockets or locket-esque necklace pieces found but i think this one sort of this one seems the most sentimental and it would have been owned by my great-grandmother may who was william's sister um so on the locket is the figure of a soldier on the front and on the inside it contains the photos of fanny so may's mother and william and there was another similar locket although it wasn't really a locket it was more of a Necklace medallion with a photo inserted in the front and the back, and in the front was a photo of William, and the back of it was a photo of Barkle, so both brothers who went off to war. Uh, So it's really nice to think of May keeping the memory of her eldest brother alive and with her throughout her life. Um, I'm gonna say that it probably hadn't been worn a lot because there wasn't a chain with it, Um, so I'm I'm assuming probably May wore it a lot, maybe in the early years um, after the war, but as she got older, because she lived to the age of 90, she probably didn't wear it as much. During his training at Codford, William had ended his letter to May with, hope to see you all soon. Unfortunately, once he stepped foot on HMAT Marathon, he was never to see Australia or his family again. William was one of the 60,000 men and women who gave their lives for country and king during World War I. And although he is gone, his service and sacrifice will not be forgotten. There are plenty more stories left in my ancestry. To tell and I've loved slowly discovering and learning more about each of my ancestors service as I try to understand what they would have gone through during this time fortunately most of my ancestors that I've been able to research thus far were able to return home although I don't doubt that they were at times haunted by their experiences If for some reason you've yet to uncover your family's military history, now is the perfect time to start discovering and you will be seriously surprised at how much information is contained within their war files. Even just their enlistment form can give you so much information if you can't access the files yet or they're just not available depending on where you are in the world. But if, like me, you're in Australia, if you can get on the National Archives and access their full... Uh, their full file with every single document ever pertaining to their military service. Uh, it's a gold field, it's gold, like you'll love it. So as I said at the top of this episode, I'm working on bringing back the podcast for more episodes next year. So please do reach out if you're interested in getting involved, having a chat with me and sharing a story or two from your own ancestry. I'd love to jump on a Zoom call with as many people as possible and have a bit of a chat and just get to share some of your stories and how your research has gone and how you've managed to uncover some of these stories and just share the love of family history and genealogy with more people so head to the podcast page on my blog which will be linked in the episode and show notes to get in touch so we can organize a recording session i cannot wait to hear um i cannot wait to hear about what amazing stories you've been able to uncover in your research make sure you subscribe to your podcast platform of choice and follow me on social media to stay in the loop about how to get involved and when new episodes will finally be dropping as i said it's the new year but let's let's get a bunch of episodes recorded and done and ready to go so until then whenever then will be happy researching